I got up to come here so he'd quit talking. Um, before I say anything else, this, this would be normally like a closing benediction, but it's going to be my opening prayer for you, and that is, may the grace of Jesus rest upon you, each one of you, as I look at your faces, but on all of you, as you have gathered together, may the grace of Jesus rest upon you in peace, in love, in praise and thanks, in a mutual concern for one another, and in love for the, the neighbors. I, I wonder if we just counted how many rooftops or how many houses border the property of New Village. And we could pray that there could be a new village, a new living in their home with Jesus invading them. Because you embodied the grace of Jesus to your closest of neighbors, I mean at least closest to this property, and the neighbors around you. May the grace of Jesus truly rest upon you, indwell you, live out through you in uh, extraordinary kindness and love and goodness that the presence of Jesus has felt in uh, Lake Grove because you exist here. So that's my closing prayer because I probably won't think of it at the end. I'm going to get excited about what I'm sharing with you. So I'm doing it now. And uh, if you want to leave because you've been prayed for as a closing prayer, you're welcome to do so. But I have something to share with the rest who want to stay. Um, I also want to thank the, the worship team. Man, that was dynamite. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I love that line uh, in the song that we read and some of us sang because we can't hear music without singing. Uh, and that is, let the nations be glad. What if we just took that last word, glad? What do people look like when they're glad? Show me. Okay, that's nice. It, it, they look like they don't look like people usually look when they're in church. You know, we, we, we have this habit of not looking really glad when we're in church. Kind of serious. Uh, let the nations look like you just looked when you were laughing. There's not a lot of gladness on the globe. And that's why we exist. That's why God didn't just take us to heaven the moment we believed in his son and say, okay, immediate transfer. He left us here so that there could be transformation uh, among the people we know because we get to represent the gladness of grace uh, to the people among whom we live and the peoples to whom we send those we love so that they can represent the grace in other cultures. So um, that's something about what I want to share this morning. How can we pray so that the nations be glad? And what I want to do is simply walk through an extended story. It's found in Exodus chapter 32, 33, and 34. Now I see some of you wanting to take that second chance to leave. Uh, because, you know, uh-oh, three full chapters from the Old Testament. Uh, can we handle this? Um, we're not going to read all of it. In fact, I probably won't read a lot of it. But we're going to drop into this story. And in telling of the story, what I hope we leave with is a model, uh, a human example a pattern for interceding for those who need grace. I hope that we'll see in this story an heroic uh, exhibit of how we could intercede for those who have not yet glad. And uh, so as we tell the story, I'll stop every now and then, and maybe it was wise to get some of the stuff out of the way, I'll stop every now and then in order to say, so what can we learn from that part of this 
this model, this example. Um, we're going to drop into the middle of a story. Obviously, this is uh, three-fourths of the way through the book of Exodus. We encounter this particular event or series of events after a, a great hero has rescued his girlfriend. See, this girl is not really all that attractive. She's been held in bondage. She's a, a slave. She's been held in bondage by a, a gangster. He has a name, or at least a title. His name is Pharaoh. Uh, and he's holding this, this not-so-beautiful girl in slavery in Egypt. And our hero, the grand hero of this story, although he's not the example we're going to follow, the grand hero went into the very territory of this gangster and wreaked havoc. Ten times he threw punches such that the gangster Pharaoh needed to let go of the girl. And then our hero begins to romance this girl. He takes her by his arm and he leads her out into the wilderness and he feeds her. She's been malnourished and mistreated he begins to feed her and care for her and protect her before and behind. Everywhere she looks, there's this mighty hero who will not let her be abused again. And he's romancing her and loving her. He leads her to a place and chooses one particular one among them and says, look, come up on this mountain and I'm going to write some love letters about how we can get along in the future. I'm going to write some love letters. They're going to be unusual. They're written on stone. <laughs> uh, and they're going to tell how we can live our best future together. And so our romantic God is loving the nation of Israel. And Moses ascends up to the mountain to receive these love letters, these ordinances and rules and ways of being together such that Israel and God can live in harmony with one another. Now, in most of the cultures of the world, there is a, especially village cultures, there's someone who functions as the village matchmaker. In Spanish, we call it the casamentero. And uh, that person's responsibility is to find two, maybe strangers, who don't know one another and get them together it's for the good of the couple. They'll get married. It's for the good of their families because they form a new bond between the clans. And it's for the good of the village or the, the ethnicity uh, in order to increase population because the hope is, of course, that they will have children and further their village's population. Usually the matchmaker is making a match between those who have not yet come together. In our story, the model we want to observe is Moses, who is not going to make a match, but try to keep a match from breaking up. He's trying to keep a beautiful couple who have shown a promising beginning from having a disastrous breakup. But Moses now is up on the mountain. He's receiving these love letters from God for this nation down in the valley. And what Moses does not know, our hero God has seen. He says to Moses, in fact, let me get out my, my glasses because I am getting older. Each time I come, I'm a little older. That's how it happens. In Exodus 32, 
God says to Moses, verse 7, Go down at once. Now listen to the vocabulary here. Go down at once, for you, your people whom you brought up from the lands of Egypt have corrupted themselves. What did you hear there? That sounded a little strange. Talk to me. We're friends. I'm from out of town. You can talk about me after I leave, but you can talk to me this morning. For your people whom, come on, you're with me, you brought out of Egypt. Now, what does God usually call Israel? My people whom I brought out of Egypt. Okay, so we're at a negotiation table already, and God has taken the, the ownership document, the title document of Israel, and he slid it across the table to Moses. They're your people. You go down, for your people, whom you brought out of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have quickly turned aside from the way in which I commanded them. They have made for themselves a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed it to it and have said, This is your God, your hero, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. My girlfriend's being unfaithful to me. She's down there. She's made herself another idol. I'm the one that brought her up, and here they are worshipping a thing that they made. Moses, go down. They're your people. What is Moses going to do? Moses says, oh, oh, I'm sorry. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, they are an obstinate people. Now then, Moses, let me alone, that my anger may burn against them, and that I may destroy them, and I will make of you a great nation. Okay, just... How can we picture this scene? It's a mountain. There's God way up there. There's the people of Israel way down there committing immorality and idolatry. And where's Moses? In between God and them. And God so much as says, now Moses, get out of my way. In other words, you move so I can nuke them. I'm going to destroy them, and I will make out of you a great nation. If you're Moses, what are you thinking about now? Hmm, hmm, great nation? The Mosesites. Has a nice ring to it. The Mosesites. Hmm, me, great nation, head of a great nation. If he were one of us, that might be how he thought. Thankfully, he's different than us, different than me anyway. Then Moses entreated the Lord, verse 11. Moses entreated the Lord as God and, and said, O Lord, why does your anger burn against your people whom you brought out from the land of Egypt? What just happened? <laughs> Moses slid the title document of the ownership of the people of Israel back across the table where it belongs, whom your people, whom you brought about it out of Egypt, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt, from the land of Egypt, with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak, saying, with evil intent he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and destroy them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and change your mind about doing harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by yourself and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens and all of this land which I have spoken of I will give to your descendants and they will inherit it forever. 
Moses appeals to God on, on three basic levels. But notice just where he is now. He has placed himself between a white-hot, angry God who is rightfully jealous and wants to destroy his girlfriend. And said, why should you destroy them? And so he's put himself in between the angry God and a people deserving judgment, an unreached people group who haven't yet believed, if we could say. And he appeals to God on three different bases. First of all, he says, Don't, why should your anger burn um, and why should you destroy these people who you expended your energy and might and power to bring out uh, in, out of the land? And then why should you allow the Egyptians who saw you exert these plagues upon, the people, uh, upon their own nation, why should you let the Egyptians, these foreigners, these non-believers in Yahweh, why should you let them mock your name and your inability to actually keep your promise to your people? And then furthermore, he appeals to him on the basis of God's promise himself. He says, God, and you can almost see Moses with his finger, you promised, you promised that you were going to bring these people, multiplying their descendants, and give them to the, their land forever. You made a promise. This is round one of negotiations. Lord, they're your people. They're your people of your promise. You don't want others mocking you. You don't want these foreigners mocking you for your inability to do what you uh, said you were going to do. So what happens in this moment of great tension? If you're filming this movie, the violins are really going high right now. There's some tension in the air. It's, the mood is, is quite fearful. Thought we read verse 14. So, whew, the Lord changed his mind. The Lord changed his mind about the harm which he said he would do to his great people. And all God's people said, do it with me. All God's people said? Very, very good. So this round one. Is Moses satisfied at having just simply spared Israel from getting nuked? He can still feel the rumbling and the thunder from up on high. He knows that God is still jealous and still angry, but he's not going to destroy. So Moses goes down, down the mountain, as God had instructed him to do. Uh, verse 15 and following, he's got the stone tablets in his hand. Um, and we, we follow the action down to verse uh, 19. Moses comes about, it, it comes down, it, it came about, as soon as Moses came near the camp, he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger burned. What did he just ask God? <laughs> God, why does your anger burn? <laughs> of course, he hadn't seen it for himself. Now he gets down there, and he sees it, and his anger burns, and he trashes the, the commandments down on the ground, he grinds them up, he makes them drink it in the water, uh, then he calls the faithful ones out, and there's a, a destruction and a killing among the people of Israel. Some fall dead because of this immorality and idolatry. Friends, I forgot to ask a question when we went, <laughs> and that's this. Can one person change the spiritual fortunes of a nation in jeopardy of destruction and judgment? On the globe, at this moment in history, only one human being cared for the fate of Israel. That one human being placed himself between a God who is worthy of judging and a people deserving of judgment. And he changed their fate. Look around the room. These flags. Look at your roster of international workers that you've sent out. 
consider the peoples they are trying to reach. One family could gather around a dinner and pray faithfully for one people group and appeal to a God who is worthy to judge for mercy upon a people deserving judgment and see their future saved. I plant that in your mind as a picture. See yourself like this between God and an unreached people group. So we follow the story. Uh, verse 30, just the first several words. On the next day, that's the day after Moses has come down the mountain, right? Let me ask you, what happens between one day and the next? Real simple question. A night, right? What do we usually do at night? We sleep, okay? How do you think Moses slept that night? Hmm. I imagine he's thinking, man, this is way worse than I ever dreamed it was going to be. I too careful. What am I going to do? I imagine he tossed and turned. If he, ever, if he ever even laid down, he made him walk to his tent the whole night. He's wondering, what am I going to do? This is, this is disastrous, but she's cheated on him. She's going to get killed. I just know it. So Moses, on the next day, announces to the people, dedicate yourselves to the, to the Lord. Every man is against his son. Every Oh, I'm sorry, uh, verse 30. Uh, you yourselves have committed a great sin, and now I'm going up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Notice how he puts that conditionally. Maybe, maybe I can stop God from his destructive intentions against you. Maybe, perhaps I can atone for you. Moses is in shape. He's just climbed up this mountain. He's come back down. Now he's going to go back up again and face this angry God. So he goes up. Verse 31, Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, when we, use, we don't use that word in modern language, but you picture the hands just, oh, Alas, this people has committed a great sin, O oh God, and, and they've made a God of gold for themselves. How stupid could they be, God? But now, if you will, here he is pleading, if you will, forgive their sin. Isn't that an amazing prayer? He has just seen what they've done. He's seen their dancing, then their immorality and their idolatry, and he pleads with God, forgive their sin. Now he's gone from this to this. Forgive their sin. Are you pleading for an unreached people group like that? Are you going in front of God with some perspiration at the potential outcome and saying, oh God, extend mercy to these in Bangladesh or Japan or in Maine or in New Jersey, wherever we've sent workers. Oh God, forgive their sin, those to whom our workers are reaching. But then read the next phrase, and it's a shocker. And if not, in other words, if you will not forgive them, please blot, please blot me out from your book which you have written. If I were to say, and all God's people said, it should be, <gasps> what? Moses stricken from God's book of eternal life? How many of us have felt the compassion and heart for an unreached people group that say, look, I'd, I'd trade my salvation for theirs. Take them and blot me out. 
How many of us have interceded like that for the people our missionaries are trying to reach? What a model, what an example Moses is. You know, he's not the only person in the Bible who ever said that. Paul said about the Jewish people when he wrote in Romans 9, 10, and 11, he said, for I could wish myself accursed for the sake of my brethren. I could wish that I were blotted out for the sake of the Jews coming to know their Messiah. There's Moses saying, if you will, forgive them. But if not, then could we make a deal? Strike me out and save them. God doesn't bite on that deal. <laughs> Verse 33, whoever sinned against me, God says, I'll blot him out of my book, but you go, you go now. You lead the people where I told you. Behold, my angel will go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I punish, I'll punish for their sin. Verse, chapter 33, verse 1. Now go, depart from here, God says to Moses, you and the people whom you have brought up from the land of Egypt. Do you hear that again? God goes, they are your people, Moses. You and the people you brought up from the land of Egypt and to the land where I, which I swore, okay, I'm going to give them the land, but you go. Verse 2, I will send an angel before you, and I'll drive out all these people groups that we don't want to pronounce. Verse 3, go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst. Here's God saying, she cheats on me. I'm not hanging with her. You go. I'll send an angel. He'll, he'll direct you there. You'll have Siri. You'll get directions. Just show up at the right place. You got your GPS, but I will not hang with her anymore. I'm ticked. She cheats on me. I won't hang with her. Verse 4, when the people heard this sad word, they went into mourning. They know where their source of help lies, don't they? And none of them put on their ornaments. They didn't even dress up right. We'll skip the next section and go down to verse 7. 7 and following is kind of like a flashback or a parenthesis. It describes God's usual way of meeting with Moses. And it tells us that now Moses had constructed a tent outside the camp. This is not the tabernacle. This is just Moses' own KOA with God, you know, his campground of America. He, he, he's got his own place where he camps with God. He tent, goes in the tent there. And the verse says that God met with Moses face to face like a friend speaks with a friend. And that was Moses' habitual pattern of encountering God face to face and conversing. And in the process of that, Moses is so close to this countenance of God that his face takes on brilliance and shine, such a brilliant shine that when he exits the tent, the people are like, man, it's just a little too bright for us. Could you tone it down some? And he has to put a veil over his face so that they are not blinded by the sight. Now, is that an experience of favor with God? Any of you ever had that? I mean, some of you have your cosmetics on this morning. I'm sure you washed your face, but, but I can gaze at most of your faces relatively comfortably, all right? And you mine. Uh, none of us have had this kind of experience. Moses was unique on the face of the globe and having this face-to-face -face encounter with God. Uh, and his face shines with the after effects of it. That was the typical effect. And the verse says that whenever Moses would go out to that tent of meeting, what a beautiful name, 
that the people would stand at their tent and gaze after him. I imagine the gaze was something like, wow. Wow. That must be something. And so Moses has enjoyed this immense privilege. So we come down later after, after Moses, the author, has described this. We'll get to verse 11 and we can just read that. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. Verse 12. So on this next encounter that Moses has with God, <clears throat> Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, <laughs> you notice Moses' tone of voice here. See, you say to me, bring this people up. But you yourself have not let me know whom you're going to send with me. In fact, you said, I have known you by name, and you have found favor in my sight. I want you to listen for a repeated word here. And you have found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray you, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways, that I may know you, so that I may find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. You hear that? <laughs> Moses puts that title deed right back over on God's side of the table. They belong to you. They're your people. Do you hear a repeated word in that verse or verses? What was it? Say it loud. Favor. Has Moses found favor in God's sight? Yeah, he meets in a tent with him on a regular basis and talks face to face. But Moses says, now, if I could just leverage that favor for a, no, let me use the same word, for a favor for her, for Israel, would you let me know your ways so that I could know you, so that I could find more favor in your sight? And you almost see the cycle. So that I could know your ways, so that I could know you, so I could find more favor, so that I could increasingly know your ways, so that I would know you and your character, so that I would find favor. And the basis of that privileged position, he leverages that favorable spot with God and says, now, consider, they are your people. You've said you won't destroy them. You said you'll send them up, but you won't go with us. Now, come on, God. If I'm special with you, if we're tight like this, come on, why don't you consider that they're your people? Now Moses has gone from this, don't destroy them, to this, oh, please forgive them, to this. You and me, tight? <laughs> Her too? <laughs> come on, come on. He's begging God on the basis of his favorite position to gain somebody else a privilege. And God responds, verse 14. Okay. My presence will go with you. Not just the angel. Me. I personally, will go with you, and I'll give you rest. Moses, just to be sure God means business, says in verse 15, if your presence does not go with us, don't bother leading us up from here. If you're not going, just let us die right here in the wilderness. For how can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by your going with us so that we, I, and your people may be distinguished from all the other people or upon the face of the earth. Do you see that arm around Israel's shoulder standing before God? I and your people. I'm in favor. Now they are in this favored position too. Can I ask you, have you experienced favor from God? 
Are you debating or what? <laughs> Slap crazy, yes, you have. Absolutely. You've experienced marvelous favor from God. You're here. You've been blessed with forgiveness, with the opportunity to praise, to get together, the freedom in this land, uh, an eternity settled it forever in heaven. We have been miraculously, immensely blessed by God. So the question is, how am I using that favored position as leverage to gain for an unreached people group God's favor upon them? Consider, too, that this is your people. Forgive them. Don't destroy them. Put favor upon them. Let your presence rest with them. How many of us, of us are doing that? Then the Lord said, I will also do this. You know, Moses is on a roll. Right? I don't know if you notice this. <laughs> He's getting yeses from God. Uh, the Lord said to Moses, I'll also do this, which you have spoken. For you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. I got you and my favorites on my contact lists. We're, we're good. And now Moses, on the basis of being on this roll, I ask the audacious. And it comes out almost abruptly, verse 18. I pray you. Show me your glory. <gasps> what do you mean? That's a death wish. And God reminds him of that. Look, look, look. You can't. No man can see me and survive the experience. You'll die if you see my glory. But, but, but. You have found favor in my sight. So I'm going to show you the back side of my glory. Now, I'm just a dude from Texas. Your, your pastor is like a really intelligent scholar of the word of God. He can explain to you the difference between the front side and the back side of, of God's glory, all right? He knows that stuff. Um, anyway, God says, you're, you're going to see the back side of my glory. Whatever that means, it's going to be like pretty cool, all right? <laughs> Let's leave it at that. And I'm going to hide you in a place in the rock. I'll cover you up, and when, they, when, my, when I pass by, you'll see the back side of my glory. Moses is crazy asking this request, but God says, all right, Moses... I like this kind of intercession, this person who will not let go, and I'm going to grant the best I can your, the experience you've requested. So, yes, you can see it. We go down to verse 34. So Moses makes two stone tablets. He goes back up to the mountain once again. Uh, in verse 5, the Lord descended in the cloud, stood with him there. Isn't that a cool picture? God standing with Moses there. What, a, what an amazing thing as Moses called upon the name of the Lord. And then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, listen to the mighty, awesome, thundering voice of God proclaiming the gentleness of his character at the same time. The Lord proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. That covers about all my activities, I think. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. Moses hears these words from God, abounding in loving kindness, forgiving of every garden variety of sin there could possibly be named, tender and merciful and abounding 
in this kind of gracious kindness extended to human beings. Moses hears those words and he says, I cannot let this moment pass. Now, let's just stop and get out of the story for a moment and ask ourselves, if Moses were a North American evangelical at this moment, what would he do? I think I know what he'd do. He'd say, God, could you pause for just a moment? Right there. Selfie. Me in the backside of God's glory. Boy, wait till I post this. Well, I get a thousand likes in a few seconds. And then he'd write his book, Camping with God on the Mountain. I saw the glory of God. And he would get an agent, and they'd make a movie. And he'd go on all the talk shows, and oh, today we have Moses, the man who saw the glory of God. Moses, come here. Oh, I'll tell you what, it was quite an experience. You'd never believe it. And he would become a Christian celebrity if he were a North American Christian. He would leverage this thing for him. What does Moses do? Verse 8. Moses made haste to bow low toward the earth and worship. (laughs) And he said, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, I pray, let the Lord go along in our midst. Satan God said he would do that. And he will not let go. Let the Lord go along in our midst, even though the people are so obstinate and pardoned our iniquity and our sin. Do you notice the possessive pronoun he used there? Pardon our iniquity. And our sin, no longer is he saying this people and their problems, our iniquity, our sin. Forgive us, Lord, and take us as your own possession. He again lumps himself in with Israel. Take us as your very own. Far from leveraging this magnificent experience for himself, there dripping wet with the sweat of perspiration at seeing the white-hot glory of God, he appeals to God for a nation that could have been destroyed or abandoned. And he says, forgive us and take us, own us as yours. How many of us are praying for an unreached people group like that? How many of us put ourselves in intimate presence with God and will not let go until we secure forgiveness and mercy and grace for a people deserving judgment. What an amazing privilege, an amazing example, a phenomenal model Moses is for us. God's response is rather lengthy. I'll just read the first part. Then the Lord God said, Behold, I'm going to make a covenant. In other words, we're going to establish this in writing. We're going to set this down, and we're together again, and I'm committed forever to this people. This morning, downstairs, we prayed for some of your neighbors and for uh, one of the particular cross-cultural worker, the Simcoxes, is that their name? Uh, and y'all do that on a regular basis. 
on Sunday mornings. You've got them in your bulletin. You list their name and the people they're trying to reach. What if you and your family, I'm speaking to you individuals now, what if you and your family chose one of those, I hate to use this word, targeted peoples, those intended for blessing people groups, and said, we're going to fight for them like Moses fought for Israel. And we're going to beg and beseech and we're going to fight and claw our way toward God for mercy upon them. Who knows what good God might do for a people who would otherwise be judged. And who knows, who knows whether on the face of the planet if you and your family are not the only ones with loving-hearted, passionate prayers for that people group pleading consistently persistently, will not take no for an answer kind of praying. Who knows if y'all aren't the only ones doing that with God? And who knows what a loving God who declares his name as loving and kind, abounding in mercy, extending grace to thousands, who knows if that God might not listen to your prayers and petitions and answer with mercy. I give you these pictures of Moses. Keep them in your mind as a pattern for for impassioned petitioning of God. Don't destroy them. Please forgive them or wipe me out. Oh, if I found favor, give them your favor. And then you wouldn't be able to see me but my face on the ground like Moses after seeing the glory of God. Forgive. Forgive us and take us as your people. Let me pray. Father, thousands of people groups exist on this planet you've made. People groups whose cultures you have created and whose languages you made. And thousands of them not just the numbers of people, but thousands of people groups without the gospel, without light, without hope, down in the valley, in danger of destruction. Thank you for showing us Moses' heart because it is like your heart. Thank you for being the hero of the story who abounds in forgiveness and mercy and grace. And thank you for inviting us through the example of Moses to intercede, to interpose ourselves, to plead with you for what you in your heart do want to do for the peoples of the earth, that your glory might be known. We repeat with the song, may the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad. We want to see the name of Jesus praised in the globe. Use our prayers as part of that plan, the glorious plan you have laid out, so that one day we will gather with them around the throne of Jesus, praising our eternal hero, the one who died in our place. In the name of Jesus, Lord of the nations, amen.